Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. While science has proven that cells are the building blocks of all living things, it's actually the communication between cells that brings us to life, controls our body, our brain, and determines whether or not we are healthy or sick. These intercellular conversations also influence how we think, feel, and behave. Joining us today is Dr. John Leaf, author of The Secret Language of Cells. He will share the surprising science of how all cells speak the same language, whether it's bacteria, viruses, or the cells of our brain and blood. Don't go anywhere. This fascinating and groundbreaking discussion starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a nationally recognized neuropsychiatrist. He's a graduate of Yale and Harvard Medical School. He's an innovator in several medical fields and has developed specialized treatment programs for brain-injured patients. He's the founder of the prestigious American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry. In addition, he's been featured on national radio and television and print media, including 2020, Newsweek, and People Magazine. He's a sought-after speaker and has lectured on topics that include neuropsychiatry, neuroscience, psychopharmacology, dementia, depression, and high technology in medicine. His new book is called The Secret Language of Cells. Welcome to the show, Dr. John Leaf. Well, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, Great to have you. This is really a fascinating topic. First, tell us what inspired you to write The Secret Language of Cells. Well, I have a blog post where I was trying to uh, research what we know about the mind And that led me, of course, from neuroscience through animal small brains that are intelligent to microbes and cells that show intelligent behavior. Um, And then I discovered that just the way people, most people know that neurons send signals to each other in circuits, in fact, everywhere you look, cells are sending signals to all kinds of cells, having large collaborative uh, discussions, and this determines literally everything in physiology uh, and is the basis of future treatments, some of which have already occurred in cancer treatments using microbes, the natural conversations with microbes using it to fight cancer. Right. So when you talk about conversations or communicating, with each, do they have to be close to each other, or how does that communication take place? Well, it takes place all over the body, so it can be close to each other. So, for example, uh, capillary cells sit right next to the stem cells in an organ, and it turns out, very strangely, no one would have suspected that capillary cells instruct the stem cells how to build tissues, like the liver cells that they need or the brain cells they need. But they also secrete chemicals that are then traveled through the blood, through the cerebral spinal fluid, and some of it is placed in, in little sacs. Uh, cancers love to use these little sacs where they put all kinds of molecules, RNAs, DNAs, uh, proteins, and they send information uh, to land uh, at the recipient. So and it can also be electrical. In the brain, there are clearly electrical waves that occur. Um, it can be chemical gradients. Uh, so there are a lot of ways that it happens, but most frequently it's a chemical that's secreted into a tissue that then travels either through the tissue or blood or cerebral spinal fluid. 
Yeah, so fascinating to really get that bare, bare essence of who we are, that there's so much communication going on. I know with the pandemic, there's such a big focus on the immune system. Share with us how being exposed to germs can break up this conversation between our cells and our brain and what we can do maybe to promote cellular immunity. Well, what's been discovered is that there are very elaborate conversations involving immune cells, uh, neurons, blood vessel cells, tissue cells, and uh, there are what's called immune reflexes. So, for example, and these can be trained like the Pavlovian conditioning. So animals develop a reaction uh, where the uh, uh, nervous system, the brain, uh, stimulates immunity to certain circumstances. These immune reflexes are really the basis also of, of the new understanding of acupuncture and, uh, and are very involved in, in pain. So the brain and the immune are always talking to each other. The immune cells tell the brain, for example, we're sick. They give them the signal to lie down and develop the sick feeling. So, and then when we're not sick, the T cells send a signal, bring us back to normal uh, function. The T cells send information signals to brain cells to make right. new memory cells. And when stress occurs, you make more first, but then if stress becomes severe, um, then we make less. And that's the trouble thinking with chronic stress. Um, so these uh, T cells are sending uh, signals. They sit in the cerebral spinal fluid. They send a signal to a neuron that then uh, makes these changes in the brain. Meanwhile, in the other direction, the neurons are telling... Um, the immune cells, what kind of inflammation to make. No one ever realized that neurons can cause an inflammation in response to a local infection. And as a matter of fact, this can become a reflex so that um, it was shown that meditation causes uh, increased immunity, but no one understood right. how this could happen. Well, the way it happens is through the vagus nerve, uh, the vagus nerve then can influence locally uh, to cause uh, increase in immune cells to fight a local infection. Yeah, talk to, talk to us about, uh, I know the gut, I know until recently science believed depression and emotional distress originated in the brain, and now the gut's being referred to as the second brain, and some experts believe our thoughts and our emotions originate in the gut microbiome. I'm curious, what are your views on this form of cellular communication between the gut and the brain? Well... There's a lot of it. Um, so there's a one single lining cell in the gut that uh -huh. below it are the immune cells where it's talking to and building specific immune tissue. But in front of it are trillions of microbes. So the gut cells talk to the microbes and gather friendly microbes to come near the lining. These are the ones that make vitamins for us. These are the ones that digest things appropriately. And then when enemy microbes try to attack the lining, these friendly microbes and friendly viruses, I might add, in the mucus right. near the lining, uh, defend them. But they make many, many products. So recently, 300 new products were found uh, for, uh, that were made by microbes in the gut. And these products then go into the blood and influence the brain, the body. I'll give you one. Can I give one example? Yeah, um, sure. 
this is a strange one. It's one reason why red meat is not good. It has nothing to do with the red meat, but it has to do with the fact that red meat um, attracts a particular kind of microbe that likes carnitine in the red meat. It eats the carnitine, and then it produces a chemical. The chemical goes into the bloodstream, goes to the liver, and in the liver, it's trans it's metabolized into another chemical that then creates plaque in the arteries. So here, indirectly, red meat is causing uh, heart disease, but it's not doing it directly. It's doing it because of the microbe that's intervening, uh-huh. because it likes the meat. Interesting. So I guess Hippocrates had it right when he said all disease begins in the gut. We really are back focusing on what he said over 2,000 years ago. The gut has so much so much uh, uh, power over our body and our cells. One thing I, I want to ask you is, is you mentioned in your book how our cells know what time of day it is. Share what you mean by that. That's pretty interesting. Well, each cell has a clock. Uh-huh. And the clock is based upon uh, DNA and genes. So a gene makes a, uh, makes a product, makes a right. protein. Then that protein goes and sits on another piece of DNA, triggering another gene that makes another product, and it creates a loop. And this loop, multiple loops, create a 24-hour cycle. So the, each cell has their own cycle, but then each organ has their own cycle, and then there's a central uh, clock in the brain that responds to sunlight, to eating, to sleeping, uh, to our behavior. And the local cells try to synchronize with the central clock, but are not always able to do that. And when they can't do that, that's where metabolic problems can come up. So we've got this internal structure keeping keeping time in our body. That's great. I know one thing that I want to get with talked about is the mind-body connection and the immune-brain connection. Do you think our thoughts communicate with our cells and maybe has a factor on whether we get healthy or sick? Absolutely. Well, just the way the immune cells respond to infections and microbes and viruses, they respond to social isolation, to our feelings. So you have the neurons and the immune cells talking constantly, and they will respond to both uh, physical things like infections um, throughout the body, but they also respond to uh, emotional states, to uh, isolation, to uh, the content of our uh, uh, of, of what's creating our moods and uh, this constant communication back and forth. I already mentioned that when uh, someone becomes depressed, the, the, the immune cell is telling the neuron make less memory cells. And so it creates less memory cells. And then when we're feeling better, it, the T cell again uh, stimulates more, more memory cells. So this back and forth communication, really you cannot separate the brain and the immune or the brain and the body because in reality it's like a wired system and a wireless system that work hand in hand. So when you say the brain, the brain is really every cell in the body. You can't really separate them because every decision locally is made through uh, 10 different kinds of cells talking to each other, which include the neurons and include the immune cells and include the local lining cells and blood cells. So really our communication in our mind, especially the negative communication we have, so many of us actually transfer to negative communication in ourselves and then we can get sick. That's pretty much sums it up. 
Well, definitely, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Though, let me let me ask you about you know uh, I guess genetic testing. It's it's so popular now, and people believe our genes determine our destiny from everything from type two diabetes, heart disease, obesity, even cancer is blamed on our DNA. What's the truth when it comes to cellular health? Is is do our genes determine our health or lack thereof? Somewhat, a little bit. In other words, they can. If you have a bad mutation that causes a particular uh, disease entity which can't do a function, right. yes. But that's a very small minority. Most of the time, the DNA is just there, and it's stimulated to make to go in different directions. So each cell uses a different blueprint with the very same uh, material, with the very same uh, genes. So the genes are affected by... Uh, the environment, by the immune cells, various things trigger uh, tags that are placed on the DNA and are placed on the proteins that protect the DNA. And these tags determine what is going to, what the DNA is going to do. The DNA isn't determining that. Other things are determining that. And then in the fight with microbes, they have the ability to tag, and a war a war goes on. With, with our cells tagging and the microbes untagging uh, various DNA that may affect the microbe. And the microbe, meanwhile, is tagging the DNA in order to take over the cell and use it to make its own uh, DNA or RNA. So it's a battle, but it's influenced by many factors, but it's not coming from the DNA. The DNA is, um, is like a vault of information, but it has to be used. Right, which you know makes sense. I've got patients now that that just they give up. They say, "Oh, I'm I'm obese because my family is," and you know you can't blame your genes on why you can't fit into your genes. There's a whole bigger picture here. It's not the gene. Genes can be altered as well, and uh, so that's a good point. What are your views on genetic testing? Is is there so many options out there? Ancestry to our genetic disposition for certain diseases. Are you a fan of genetic testing? Well, it's been good for finding criminals, I guess. Um, Right. But it's very, very primitive. So the problem is, you they say make statements that aren't true, and that can upset people. So you you know, we just don't know as much as these outfits are putting out. So uh, whether you use it or not, you have to take it with a grain of salt. And it may it may give a piece of valuable information, but it may also give a lot of false information. Right. I know a lot of a lot. We just don't know. It's just too complicated at this point. We don't know enough for for the kinds of of conclusions that are coming out of these. Yeah, testings. we've also had several guests on the show talk about telomeres, the nucleotides at the end of the chromosomes, which protect the genetic information. Many say testing our telomeres predicts how long we will live. Tell us your take on telomeres. Is well, telomeres are dynamic. Uh-huh. We have enzymes that can build up telomeres. We have enzymes that can cut them down. So again, it's based upon, uh, I mean, in general, it's true that as the telomere uh, is used up, then you can't, the cell can't divide eventually because the telomere is the end, the tip at the end that needs to be used. But we have enzymes, uh, telomerase, that build up uh, telomeres, and that's what cancers do. Cancer cells build up their telomeres so they won't die. And uh, some of our cells can do that too. So... Everything in the body is, is a dynamic of signaling and talking. And so what triggers these enzymes? There are a lot of things that could trigger the enzymes. And eventually we're going to figure out 
how to use the telomerase to make important cells last longer. Interesting. Is there anything that you know people can do to, let's say, increase you know the health of the telomeres? Is there certain foods, diet, vitamins, nutrients? What do you recommend for people listening that, hey, there's some key to anti-aging. What can they do to stimulate that? Well, I've been writing about brain health, and the brain is, is just an organ with cells, and uh, there are clearly some things that help the brain. One is sensible eating. We all know sensible eating means avoiding processed foods, avoiding chemicals that we don't know what they're doing, and, and, right. uh, and eating, you know, good, you know, fruits and vegetables, whatever. These are very, I mean, certain obvious things, but then... Uh, Exercise in moderation helps mm-hmm. the brain tremendously. Uh, another thing that helps the brain tremendously is uh, meaningful activity, not just activity, but something you care about, because what it does is it creates a large circuit in the brain uh, that's called neuroplasticity that builds circuits. So things that involve emotion, memory, movement, things like music. Music right. is very good. Uh, but really anything that involves your wholehearted involvement, which will involve thinking and moving and feeling and acting, they build brain circuits and they keep the brain. The brain is like anything in biology. You use it or you lose it. So if you use the brain in these good ways, uh, the other thing, the other secret, I think, is nature. Nature has an almost magical effect. You put a a little cap on with... uh, electrodes and you measure brain waves as you walk in a in nature and you're almost immediately in a meditative state so something about i can't tell you what it is but something about nature has a dramatically positive effect on brain health that even includes a little plant in the hospital bed or seeing a tree outside the window Um, so these are the things that create an environment where the proper things can stimulate the dna and create a, a, a positive immunity. Yeah, that's great. I know your book goes into chronic pain and how it relates to the brain. I'm sure so many listeners are listening right now suffering with aches and pains. What can you share about the topic? What, what do they need to know? Pain is very complicated. We really don't know as much as we should. Uh-huh. Um, but basically what is being learned is that the pain circuits are large, complicated circuits. They're not just neurons in the brain. They involve immune cells. They involve, um, like one kind of pain recently was discovered where the women have T-cell as part of the circuit and the men right. have microglia as part of the circuit, which is the, uh, it's really the, the immune cell in the brain. So these circuits involve lining cells, blood cells, um, and as we learn about these large circuits, we'll be learning about these chronic uh, pain syndromes. Again, learning the signaling in these complicated synapses will create completely new kinds of treatments. Right. And you mentioned acupuncture earlier. Are you a fan? Do you think that stops the communication of pain? Well, it certainly has. It's been mm-hmm. shown to do that in some cases. What I was emphasizing is the new that this new science of signaling shows how it works. Uh So, for example, no one really knows how it works because when you hit an acupuncture point, it's not really, they used to think it was near a blood vessel or a nerve, which would be like an energy field or something, but it isn't. It's just in the tissue. But what's happening is that you're hitting a T cell, an immune cell. That immune cell 
then sends a signal through the tissue to a nearby neuron that then goes into the brain and then affects someplace in the other part of the brain. And the the brain has the ability to diminish uh, not only pain, but also infections. So this is sort of this new science of signaling shows how acupuncture works. Yeah, I think it, it's so uh, it, it's so advanced. We we only have the grasp of what's to come in the future of, of knowledge. But you're doing great strides in in bringing this uh, cellular communication to light. I think this is the future of medicine: is the cells and figuring out how they communicate. And the uh, the minute we have left, is there anything else you'd like to share that we didn't cover today? Well, it actually creates a question of what is life, because right now life is considered to be a, a, a cell that metabolizes and reproduces, but really you have to consider it a cell that is intelligent and talks right. and communicates as the definition of life. So it expands the definition of life as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for sharing such great conversation about how our cells communicate. That's a new topic we've not covered here on To Your Good Health Radio. Always great to have uh, new advances out there and you're the cutting edge of this. To learn more about Dr. John Leaf or to get your copy of The Secret Language of Cells, go to johnleafmd.com and that's J-O-N-L-I-E-F-F-M-D.com and be sure and uh, check out all his other resources they're available. He's got great blog posts. They're filled with gold nuggets of knowledge. And you can follow Dr. Leaf on Facebook at Searching for the Mind. On Twitter, he's at John Leaf MD. And for my daily Facebook and Twitter post, I'm at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Leaf share something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast available at toyougoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library and share these segments with friends, family, co-workers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.